Turn to Mark chapter 9 this morning. The great preview. Mark chapter 9, we read verses 1 through nine, or one through 8, and we read in Jesus' name. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant, exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the songs that we have sung today about the coming of Jesus the one who is worthy of our praise, the one before whom we will stand one day, giving an account of our lives and how good it is to know that we can be ready for that day because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Father, I pray that you would open up this word to us today. Uh, Teach us, Lord, what you would have us to learn. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things that many people don't like about watching a movie is all the previews. Are you among them? You're going, you're seeing this movie, and it's just one after another after another, and I find myself just going, when are we going to see the movie, right? All of these uh, previews. They can be a little bit annoying, but there may be times when Preview catches your attention. I don't know if that's ever happened to me, but it might catch your attention and say, that is a movie I need to see. Has that happened to you? Maybe. The value of a preview. There's a sense in which the transfiguration of Jesus is a preview. It is a preview of a great future event. Notice in verse 1, Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, when you read that verse, it's like, okay, what, what does that mean? It's obvious that we haven't seen the kingdom of God with power, at least not in its final manifestation. So what did Jesus mean when he said, there's some of you who are standing here. You are not going to die until you see the kingdom of God coming with power. I'd suggest to you, and I believe this is true, that the answer is found in the very next verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John 
and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So I believe that in the transfiguration of Jesus, Peter and James and John were some of those who had a preview of what Jesus would be like when he comes again. Transfigured, his glory was obviously shown to them, a little preview of something that was to come, the great event to come. So why do you suppose Jesus gave them this preview of his second coming glory? I'd suggest to you there are three reasons. First of all, the preview of Jesus' glory encourages us to serve him. At the end of the previous chapter, Mark chapter 8, Jesus challenged his disciples to be serious about their commitment to serve him. Look at verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now Jesus wanted his disciples to understand something. He wanted them to know that following Him would not be easy. Discipleship, what is it? It's the way of sacrifice. It is denying ourselves. It is losing our life for Jesus' sake. So there's the challenge, right? If you're going to follow Me, if you're going to come and follow Me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and lose your life for My sake. So it was a few days after these words in chapter 8, these words of challenge, that Jesus then encourages his disciples by taking some of them up on this mountain. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus shows them that there is glory after sacrifice. That those who serve him will be rewarded by him when he comes again. Now, one of the ways he does that is this appearance of Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah were two of the many Old Testament saints who gave their lives in service to God. They sacrificed in order to please him. And it's interesting how the writer of Hebrews describes Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. So here, here's Moses, right? He says, okay, here's the wealth of Egypt. Here's the reward of serving Jesus. 
Here's the choice he had to make. He said, I would rather suffer ill treatment with the people of God because he was looking forward to the day of his reward. Elijah also served the Lord in spite of ill treatment. Falsely accused by King Ahab, threatened by Queen Jezebel. But these men had their eyes on eternity. They were living with eternity in view. And I'll tell you what, that makes a difference in the way that you live. If you are living in light of the fact that Jesus Christ will come again, it will make a difference in your life. It did with Moses. It did with Elijah. And notice how they were rewarded for their service. In verse 4, Mark says that they appeared before the disciples with Jesus. (laughs) What could be better than that, right? To be with Jesus. And then Luke adds that they appeared in glorious splendor. In spite of all the sacrifices that they had made while they lived in this world, I bet they would say, you know what? It was worth it all. It was worth it all. All the trouble, all the trials, all the persecution, all the sacrifice, all the pain. To be with Jesus, worth it all. Isn't this what encouraged Jesus Himself when He was on the cross? I think of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The writer says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses around us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he points to Jesus. He says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, and now listen to this, who for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy set before him? The writer answers that. After he suffered and died and rose again, he ascended back to the Father at the right hand of the throne of God. That was the joy set before him. And Jesus, too, lived with that in view, didn't he? And all the suffering he faced, he knew that one day, He would ascend to the Father, the right hand of the throne of God. When we have an eternal perspective, it will make a difference in the way we live. And when we gather before the throne, I'm sure we will say, it was worth it all. All the suffering, all the persecution, all the ridicule, whatever we go through in this life, worth it all when we see Jesus. I find it interesting that Moses and Elijah are the two that met with Jesus there, the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Both of these men had previously conversed with God on a mountaintop. Obviously Moses on Mount Sinai, Elijah on Mount Horeb. On these mountains, both of these men had seen the glory of God. And both of these men had interesting departures from this world. Moses died and was buried in a place that nobody knows where it is. Only God. And then what happened to Elijah? He was caught up in a chariot of fire. He never died. Interesting departures for these two men. And that's why there are many who believe that these two men give us a preview of what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, like Moses, right, will rise first. Then Paul says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's what happened to Elijah. He was caught up. He never died. Him and Enoch, right? The two in Scripture that that never died. Do you think it would be okay if you never had to die? Would you be okay with that? Huh? Jesus comes before you have to be Buried in the ground, huh? That's why I have not planned my funeral. I'm not, I haven't given any money to the funeral home for my funeral. I haven't bought a cemetery plot either. My dad used to say, why would I buy real estate that I might not need, right? He used to say, I'm, I'm waiting for the upper taker, not the undertaker, right? So just think of that. Could it be? But some of us, like Jesus said, standing here, you sitting here, could it be that some of us will be among that group of people on earth who will never die? When Jesus comes again, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then like Elijah, we who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. What a, what a wonderful encouragement to serve Him. Awaiting that day when He comes again, will it be challenging to serve Him? Yes. Will it be worth it all to serve Him? Yes. <laughs> Amen. Well, the preview of Jesus' glory encourages us serve Him. Notice, secondly, the preview of Jesus' glory inspires us to worship Him. If there were any doubts in the minds of the disciples as to who Jesus is, those doubts should have been forever removed on that mountain that day. The evidence that Jesus is true God in human flesh couldn't have been clear. Notice His appearance, how that completely changed. Verse 2 says, He was transfigured before them, and His garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. What does it mean that Jesus was transfigured? Kind of an interesting word. It's the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get our English word metamorphosis. He was transfigured before them. One author says that this word appears four times in the New Testament, always in reference to a radical transformation. That's what those disciples saw in this Jesus they were following. He was radically transformed right before their very eyes, giving them a preview of His second coming glory. I like how Kent describes this. He says, For a brief moment, the veil of His humanity was lifted, and His true essence was allowed to shine through. 
The glory which was always in the depths of His being rose to the surface for that one time in His earthly life. And then He says this. I like it. He says, It was a glance back to His pre-human glory, right? Because He has existed through all eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And a look forward into His future glory. So that transfiguration, looking back to His pre-incarnate glory, looking forward to His future glory when He comes again. And so His appearance was changed. He was transfigured before them. And then verse 7 says that a cloud formed, overshadowing them. Now what's the significance of the cloud? The disciples obviously were men who had some knowledge of the Old Testament, and they knew that the cloud in the Old Testament was a visible sign of the glory of God. For example, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night that led the people through the wilderness, Exodus 13. There was the cloud which passed by Moses as God covered him in the cleft of the rock. Exodus 33. This was the cloud that covered the the tent of meeting and then the the tabernacle. Uh, the, The glory of God was such that Moses couldn't even enter it. That cloud. That was the same cloud that filled Solomon's temple on dedication day so the priests couldn't even enter the temple. And so this cloud, I'm certain, in the eyes of the disciples that they were thinking, ah, I know what that is. That is a sign of the presence of God. We are dwelling in the very presence of God as they stood there on that mountain with Jesus. So there was no question in the minds of Peter and James and John what this meant. And when you add to that the voice of the Father from heaven, there was some powerful evidence that they were standing in the presence of the living God. Listen to how Peter describes this a few years later as he writes his second epistle. Chapter 1, starting at verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That sounds like what? Sounds like the second coming. But what is he saying? We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And he says, and we ourselves heard this utterance, made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is confirming to us that the transfiguration of Jesus is a preview of his second coming glory. That's what he's telling us. A preview of his glory. And notice how this impacted them. When they saw the glory of Jesus, they didn't want to leave the mountain. What did Peter say? Lord, it's good to be here. That's probably the understatement, right? Awesome to be here. 
Let's just build a tabernacle. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. This is a mountaintop experience and it'd be good. Let's just stay here. <laughs> Have you ever had a, a mountaintop experience? Some of you literally at the fly convention, right? But sometimes there's these these events, these experiences, these camps, these whatever worship services where we, we, we sense the presence of God in a, a special way, right? It's just like, I don't want to leave here. I don't want to go back to the challenges of life in the world. I just want to stay here. That, that, that's what, what Peter was doing. This was the desire of, of David in Psalm 27, verse 4. He said, One thing have I asked from the Lord, and that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I don't want to leave here to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. And just think of it, that the desire of David's heart is going to be fulfilled for every believer. Revelation chapter chapter 3, verse 12 says, He who overcomes, I will make a pillar... In the temple of my God, never again will he leave it. Never again will he leave it. We will dwell in the presence of the Lord forevermore, and we won't have to go home. We won't have to leave, because that will be our home, right? The presence of Jesus. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day? How many want to go to heaven? How many want to go now? Some of you are kind of wondering, huh? What a day that would be. Why would we not long and say, Jesus, come quickly. Come today. Come and take us home to be with you for forevermore. When the disciples saw the glory of Jesus, then, then we're told that they fell before him. Verse 7, Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And then Matthew tells us when this happened, they fell face down to the ground. Why? They were so overwhelmed by the glory of God that all they could do was to fall down before him. You've fallen down before him. Not necessarily literally, but have you bowed at the feet of Jesus? Acknowledging your love for him, acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior, worshiping him, praising him for who he is, for all that he's done. Many years ago, a number of prominent literary men were assembled in a club room in London. And the conversation veered to a discussion of some of the illustrious figures of the past. And one of the men suddenly asked, Gentlemen, what would we do if Milton were to enter this room? Ah, one replied, we would give him such an ovation as might compensate for the tardy recognition accorded him by the men of his own day. And if Shakespeare entered, asked another, we would arise and crown him master of song, was the answer. And then someone said, and if Jesus entered, 
And there was silence. And Charles Lamb said we would fall on our faces. If Jesus entered that room, he said we would fall on our faces. I think that man is right. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? That when Jesus comes again, every knee will bow. And so we don't miss the point in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not just believers, but unbelievers too will bow. But for them, it will be too late. Bow before Him as judge and not as We have the privilege now to bow before Jesus in worship of Him as our Savior. What He's done for us on the cross. And is that not reason to to fall at His feet today and say, Jesus, I love You. I worship You because You have saved me. You have given me life. You've given me hope. And one day You're going to come again and I'm going to be received to glory with You. That doesn't get you excited. I don't know what will. He is coming again. And if you haven't bowed before Him, now's the time. Today. Today's the day of salvation. But then, thirdly, the preview of Jesus' glory awakens us to give our attention to Him. I find two ways in which we are to give our attention to Jesus. The first is we're to listen to Him. Listen to Him. Prior to this point in the lives of the disciples, they weren't very good at listening to him, were they? Jesus said many times, he who has eyes, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many times did Jesus mention that? And yet in the previous chapter, just before this, chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus asked a very piercing question. He says, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, don't you hear? All the things that he was trying to teach them, and it was just like one ear and out the other, huh? You have ears, but but don't you hear? And I believe that this is the lesson the Father really wanted his disciples to learn that day. Because the only thing that the Father said in this text is listen to my son. Verse 7, Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out from the cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I don't know what God's voice sounded like, but I'm assuming there was emphasis on the listen to him because that was something they hadn't done very well. Listen to him. One of the things the disciples really needed to listen to is something that Jesus had already said on the mountain. Mark says there was a conversation going on with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. They were hearing this discussion. And guess what the discussion was about? Luke tells us, Luke chapter 9, verse 30 and 31, Behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which was about to accomplish, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The word departure 
is really quite interesting. It's the Greek word for exodus. They were talking about Jesus' exodus. Now, we know from the Old Testament that the exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt was arguably the most significant event in their history. Couldn't we say that? Delivered from that bondage, the exodus. Jesus was talking about the ultimate exodus. His death and resurrection and His ascension back to glory and His promise to come again. Of The Father saying, you need to listen to this, men. Because a lot of what He said about His death and resurrection, it just went in one ear and out the other. And that's the message that we must hear. It's the most significant message that you could ever hear is the message of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension and second coming. There's no message that is more important than that. And that word, the phrase, listen to Him, that is a present tense. Which means what? Continue. Ongoing. You need to keep listening to Him. Warren Worsby says, The Father interrupted Peter's speech and focused their attention not on the vision but on the Word of God. Hear Him. He says, The memory of visions will fade, but the unchanging Word abides forever. The glorious vision was not an end in itself. It was God's way of confirming the Word And he says, discipleship is not built on spectacular visions, but on the inspired, unchanging Word of God. So we have these experiences sometimes, right? Where we feel like we're on a mountaintop. But how do we grow? We grow daily, spending time in God's Word, listening to what He has to say to us. So are you listening to Jesus? Have you heard And believed what He says about your need for a Savior and what He has done to provide salvation for you. We don't want to miss that message. Nothing more important than that. So we we listen to Jesus. And then as the text ends here, I think there's a challenge to look to Jesus. After the Father was done speaking, notice what happened in verse 8. All at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. So here they saw the you know Moses and Elijah and so forth, and, and all of a sudden they were gone. And the only one left was Jesus. The one they needed, right? The only one they needed was Jesus. And they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus alone. Have you come to the place where you realize that Jesus is the one you need the most? It would have been awesome to see Moses and Elijah. I'm assuming so, right? But much more awesome was to see Jesus. That's where our focus needs to be today. Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. I hope you're looking to Him today. Trusting in Him. Living your life for Him. Waiting for the day that that Jesus comes again. Because that will change your life.
you're living in light of Jesus' return, it will make a difference in the way you live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, for this glorious preview of the second coming of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to live in light of that day, to long for that day when Jesus comes again, brings us out of this world of sin into the presence of the Father forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray.